This is Chip in Durham. Erica in Edmonton. And Shannon in Durham. And this is episode 73 of the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, The Illusion of Truth. Or is it 73? I think that's possibly fake news there, Shannon. <laughs> really? Down with fake news. You yeah. sure? What's your source? <sighs> <laughs> Listen, let's let's just rip the Band-Aid off right off the beginning, okay? At the time of recording, January 2017, The Illusion of Truth was a hard episode to watch. I'm I'm just going to I'm just going to say it right now. Cards on the table, all three of us are concerned about what feels like the United States making a radical move toward authoritarianism. If you disagree with us, that's fine. But, you know, this is this is who we are. This is where we come from when we're interrogating the text, as they say, of a Babylon 5 episode. That's, of course, going to color our perceptions. But since we intend for the audio guide to take a relatively timeless look at the show, I mean, we, we intend for people to come back and say, oh, that episode I liked so much. I wonder what they thought about it. We'll try to keep from going too far into events at the time of recording, but... Oh, boy, this was a downer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially considering I, I live in Canada, and currently uh, the Canadian Federal Minister of Immigration may not actually be able to cross the border into the United States as of today. Um, it, it made the embargo on Babylon 5 just sort of feel like, oh, yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah, uh, in, in my case, this was probably the first time since we started recording this podcast that I truly was not looking forward to an episode. I mean, even mm-hmm. TKO, as <laughs> ungainly as it was, was not sending chills down my spine the way this one was. Uh, I went and looked, because I was coming at it in terms of the journalism angle in general, and it hit me, and I went looking. And yes, Fox News debuted in October of 1996. This episode aired in February of 1997. I have a feeling JMS had, yes, he had multiple things to say in this episode, and I think this was one of them, the the manipulation of information to fit your own agenda. Yeah, um, and I, I don't know how much it would have informed the specific story, given that it takes a few months to get an episode on the air. True. Mm-hmm. Also, given the fact that this isn't the first time that he has uh, commented on the way that news can alter reality. True. Uh, yeah, the perception he, thereof. Yeah, he's he's never been, and he he had journalistic training himself, although as a newspaper guy. But uh, he has never been a big fan of journalists uh, uh, or of the press in Babylon Five. You had Captain Hair Woman uh, way back in uh, early going, <laughs> where uh, Sinclair got to do his uh, Aristotle speech, and you had Kim Zimmer. We're going to have to talk. Right. Yeah, we're definitely going to have to talk about uh, compare and contrast here between this episode and and now for a word, uh, because Mm -hmm. they use similar techniques to entirely different effect. But before we get into the background on the episode and um, the recap, I did want to observe that Babylon 5 really dates itself in its approach to the media, because back in 97, when this aired, you know, we still had the sense that the big news networks were more important than we think of them today in 2017. Today, more people get their news from 
TV, that's sure, but there's also social media. There's also advocacy journalism. Everything, you know, so many voices. You can plug into a news source that will only tell you what you want to hear, all this other stuff. Babylon 5, on the other hand, it just assumes that ISN is all there is. It's like CNN is more powerful in B5's universe than it is in ours. Yeah, that's kind of interesting, considering that back when he was talking about religions in the future, he still made it very clear that people were going to care about religion and would still have all of these different uh, types of faith. And it's interesting that he thought for some reason that journalism was going to move to sort of like this monolithic structure of where the Earth, you know, the Earth is, is one planet ruled by you know, one, um, I almost said King, <laughs> oh, Clark, uh, uh, but that has a president for the entire entire planet. And it, it seems like he just assumed that the news would go along the same way. And I wonder if that was maybe a particular choice that he did on purpose, in part narratively, just to make it easier to, to tell this story the way that it is. And also just because it, it makes it much easier to, to see the government turn authoritarian when there's one organ that is the, the, you know, the media that's just one sort of outlet. So yeah. I think it would have been a much, much more difficult and different story to tell if there were a lot of different, uh, you know, if, if the voice. Yeah. And don't, don't we have the impression of like, there's this one major newspaper you can like, you yeah. know, cherry pick what First you want today. to read in it. But yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the one one newspaper universe today, one network ISN, you know, they're, they're the only ones that we see. And I, I tend to think that that's just sort of I hesitate to use the word lazy, but it does seem just sort of simplification, certainly. Yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. it's a little too simple, especially looking from the vantage point of 2017. If you'd been writing this episode today, Twitter and Facebook would be part of the story as well. But mm-hmm. it's a simpler it's it's a simpler story from a time when CNN really did feel like a monolith. A monolith, yeah. Mm-hmm. Although, honestly, just thinking, you know, future-wise, it's never really laid out exactly how difficult it is, uh, the mechanism of getting messages from Earth to the different colonies and to Babylon 5 and that sort of thing. So, I mean, I suppose it is possible that there is something like Twitter or Facebook that's still going on on Earth. But when it comes to the colonies and, you know, Babylon 5 that we are seeing, their messages actually need to be, you know, transmitted through specific channels. It seems like it's a little bit harder to get a call, which seems pretty legit to me when it comes to actual, you know, scientific traveling of Mm -hmm. of whatever through space. So I think the idea of having an interstellar Twitter account is maybe a little far-fetched given Earth technology at that time. But maybe it's still happening on Earth. Who knows? Well, if you dig down super nerdy, I mean, the idea of real-time <laughs> communication in a space opera of any sort is pretty ludicrous, too, until you start yeah. talking about, uh, let's see, uh, Star Trek does it with subspace communication and mm-hmm. uh, hyperspace relays in Babylon 5, you know. Mm-hmm. Ursula K. Le Guin invented the Ansible. Yeah, which I'm embarrassed to say I haven't read Ursula K. Le Guin. Oh. I have no idea what an I can give is. you some recommendations offline if you would like. <laughs> All right. I've got more homework now. Great. And speaking of homework, uh, at the time of recording, I am also watching V for Vendetta. So I am having some seriously fun media guys. And Erica and I have to read 1984 and Fahrenheit 451. What were yep. we thinking? <laughs> so, dear Ooh, listener, if you're, li- if you're listening to this podcast in the far future world of 2021, this is where our heads were as we recorded. Sorry. Let's move on, shall we? 
Oh, indeed. Uh, although, although I will one parting shot uh, on as far as JMS's prognostication, he also thought that we'd have a moon colony started in 2018. So. <laughs> I laughed at that. <sighs> oh, we always delightful. Ass- we always assume that the good stuff is is just around the corner. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's your episode background for this one. If you're just dipping back in, the Shadow War is over and President Clark is running scared now that his allies are gone. He's just declared a complete embargo of the station and Captain Sheridan just thwarted Earth's effort to paint them as traitors. B5 is, once more, all alone in the night, it seems, except for the aliens that were part of its coalition to defeat the Shadows. And Michael Garibaldi, who has clearly had his brain monkeyed with, with at least some help from Psycor, has had enough and resigned. So, in the illusion of truth, ISN, Earth's biggest news network, comes onto the station and reporter Dan Randall offers Sheridan a deal. Let us interview you, and we'll get as much of your message out there past the censors as we can. Sheridan, believing that A, he has nothing to hide, and B, he may as well find out where they stand with ISN, allows them to do the story. He gets what he asks for. ISN takes interviews and footage out of context and edits in fake interview questions to make viewers believe that Sheridan has fallen under alien influence and has a plan to force humans and Minbari to interbreed. Defeating Babylon 5 is necessary for the protection of the human race and for Sheridan's own good. The Illusion of oh, Truth, Sheridan. a cheery, cheery little episode. But let's And for once the title fits. <laughs> it's it does. spot on. But let's let's start off with a happy thing. Let's put first things first. Oh, you didn't. I did. <laughs> Stephen First, Veer, he directed this episode. <laughs> and he did Stephen... a good job of it. My, my Stephen was very surprised. He was like, Stephen First? And I was like, yep, it's Veer. He's like, it's Veer. <laughs> he was very, very, um, very delighted to see see something like that that happen. And then he, Stephen really liked the direction, uh, specifically of the, the first half before we got into the newsy stuff, which is its right. own sort of style. And uh, he, he recognized that he thought it was very, as he put it, actorly. <laughs> so it was very sort of favorable to the actors and getting good performances. Um, so he thought that the first part of this felt very natural. Like when you, when uh, Lanier and the reporter are talking back and forth to each other and kind of like, you know, sometimes overlapping lines just a little bit. Uh, it's, it seemed like a more natural conversation and was mm-hmm. sort of designed to get uh, a, hmm. a good performance out of the actors as much as, as anything else. So he, he, he liked that. And he also thought that there's, you know, a certain point in the run of a TV show where the actors start wanting to direct and he listed a whole bunch of examples from Star Trek The Next Generation uh, and he said yeah so uh, with Babylon 5 this is the first so Chip you're not the only one to do that pun <laughs> I also loved the uh, banter between uh, Sheridan and Ivanova and Randall uh, that was a good one too yes. uh, I would I would agree I thought that I thought it was Sheridan te- and Ivanova period you know both with Randall in their own uh, scene early on Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. Uh, very actorly direction, but uh, mm-hmm. the technical blocking and tackling was also solid, too. Yep. Well done, Stephen. I hope mm-hmm. we see you again sometime. Spoiler, <laughs> we will. Oh, cool. 
let's go ahead and make some of those comparisons between this episode and and now for a word. Um, you know, we're we're still doing footage within footage within the episode, although this time the first half is conventional narrative before we do show within a show. The effect is lost when you go to go to DVD, but I love that we come out of the conventional uh, portion of the episode with Sheridan saying, with our luck, it'll be a commercial. And we go to commercial. <laughs> no, that was still, you could still tell because it still dipped to black. Steven laughed out loud. He was just, I mean, he's like, oh my God, it's so meta. It was, it was a big laugh. He really appreciated <laughs> that. So it's, it still plays for somebody who's savvy about how that works. And once again, the episode uses the remaining commercial breaks for dramatic effect. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Any other comparisons you want to make before we talk about how different it is in that regard? Um, you know, I really liked, uh, as you said, the uh, the fact that we had sort of conventional narrative first and then actually got to watch it all sort of play out and see how things were twisted. I thought that was a nice a nice way to do it and make it not quite exactly the same thing that it was before. So, you know, we we already know the sort of relationship that, that Babylon 5 has with, with newscasters. And this was a slightly different way to sort of tell a, a similar story. I like that. I, I'm racking my brain. It, it's it's end of semester for me, and and I'm fried. Um, I'm trying to remember, sort of how things were left with. And now for a word, I this is out and out total manipulation of of footage of voices to run their narrative. I don't remember as much manipulation going on with it now for a word as much as just kind of canny use of what was there. Rather than making it up out of whole cloth, yeah, is and that now, right? Yeah, and and now for a word was uh, journalism as practiced by TV journalists so, mm-hmm. uh, nor, uh, under normal circumstances. You know, okay. business. The camera was not kind to Delin in a now mm-hmm. for a word. Kim Zimmer's character asks the probing questions, and it's right. You know, it's it it's it's got its biases that leak in here and there, but it's also. Clearly, that's part of the point of this episode. It's also much more fair to mm-hmm. uh, Sheridan and the other characters. That was then. This is now. That was then. This <laughs> is now. Between her and uh, Blondie McCurlhead, uh, you know, mm-hmm. the previous journalists on B5 have been, you know, either considered somewhat lightweight or in both cases, you know, there's artifice involved. Randall comes on and he's just slime. Mm-hmm. He, yeah. he 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 comes on with a "Do you know who I am?" kind of attitude, and then he uh, slips in and convinces Sheridan that he's going to help them uh, get at least some of their message out because you know it's, it's it's a repressive situation and there are censors and all that. But if you tell a little bit of your truth, at least some of it will get out. Mm-hmm. And Sheridan's like, okay, we'll have short declarative sentences. We'll do what you're supposed to do with the media to keep them from taking you out of context. And the assumption that the assumption that ISN and Randall were going to play fair in any way obviously comes comes back to bite him. Yeah, I'm I'm honestly trying to remember uh, the first time I watched this episode whether or not I bought Randall's story. This time, obviously, from the beginning, I'm like, you're lying, you're lying, you're setting them up from the start, uh, from bringing your stuff on board and hiding it to make Zach Allen look bad. Everything feels, this time around watching it, like it was plotted 
all the way from the beginning. And I cannot for the life of me remember first time around watching it, if I bought the idea that he was a an underground conspirator in within the ISN, whether he was a mole, I don't remember. I don't think I ever did buy it just because I think it's the casting like he is just mm-hmm. so unctuous. Like there's true. Even when he's leaning in to say, oh, this is why a whole bunch of us, uh, a bunch of us quit, but some of us stayed. It just, yeah, it doesn't play right. And the way that he reacts to Zach in the very beginning, I think mm-hmm. the, sh- the episode kind of sets him up as the bad guy from the beginning. Mm-hmm. And it's just, and that's one of the things that sort of bothers me about this story because, or this episode, because Sheridan is just, after this episode, I just want to take him and wrap him in a blanket and give him a cookie and send him off to play video games because, oh, you poor little thing. Um, Yeah, he just, he didn't recognize it where I feel like he should have. And, you know, that that very opening shot, which admittedly Sheridan wasn't there when Zach was, was, uh, you know, trying to get at them and, and having the camera in front of him. But he would have told Sheridan about that. It just seems, you know, the fact that they're hiding their equipment and... Yeah, A plus B plus C, like it all just sort of leads in one direction. And I don't know, maybe it was Sheridan being such an idealist and thinking, oh, there are other people out there that want to help us. Hmm. I don't know. I think I that. At the, at, I think at the time that I first saw it, I think I was taken in hmm. because I'm just that gullible. I mean, if you look, <laughs> if you look, if you look me hard, if you look me in the eye and tell me sincerely, and you give me just a little bit of a well, and of course, of course, we won't be able to sell everything. It'll get skewed, but you know, so you're actually making the pretense of actually feeding me enough of the truth to make me believe your lie. I would have, I, I kind of recall buying it at the time. Yeah. And actually, I should say that I don't necessarily have a problem with Sheridan believing that because you know I think he would he would want to believe that. The thing that I have the problem with is him not taking any sort of backup you know, plan B measures, if he would have asked to have, you know, uh, raw copies of all of the footage that they took before they left, they could have actually struck a blow at Clark after the fact by releasing the, you know, the, the full the footage. Unedited, of, yeah. And while it didn't happen, and while it may have happened just off screen, there was no sense of Sheridan gathering the command staff together to say, hey, this is what's going on. Let's be careful. I, I, I have to think that some kind of briefing happened. But... Um, mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, he refers to where it at the, the end hell he says, was Sheridan's public information officer? He would have given him a briefing. <laughs> oh, there we go. You know, oh. at the end when he says, you know, we use short declarative sentences, we did all of those things. Like that, to me, says that somewhere off screen they had a meeting and he told everybody to do that. But except Lanier, obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, mm-hmm. Lanier's Mimbari. You know, he's he's, yep. he's got yeah. a tendency to talk. And and even then, you know, it did not stop. The one off sentence from uh, somebody contacting Dr. Franklin, you know, and I I have opinions about that that, you know, as we go on, I'll express. But (laughs) Me too. Yeah. Yeah. The sequence in this episode that really brings it all home for me is we have the goofy conversation between Londo and Sheridan about the temperature in his quarters. Mm -hmm. And it's Mm -hmm. there just for laughs and for Sheridan to poke back at Londo. And that's all there it is. And then you get the snapshot from the camera's view, the still of uh, mm-hmm. Londo with his po- finger pointed at him. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh. And with all of those little snapshots, you're, you're getting more information about what, what shape the final story is going to tell. And then this is one of the most effective 
it's it's media studies 101, but this is one of the most effective examples of how media can manipulate you. You remember the sequence that you saw before earlier in the episode, but you watch it again with the sound turned off, with Randall telling you what you're seeing, and then mm-hmm. the sound cuts in for the end of that conversation, and it does look completely different. You right. can't read the body language. You can't read what's going on. Do you believe you're lying memories, or do you go with what the reporter is telling you that you're seeing? That's... I don't know. In that case, in that case, I, I think I would go with my memory 100%, because actually that was one of the weaker spots for the episode for me, was watching that, that they chose to put that particular line about, you know, kowtowing to... Uh, to um, uh, to Londo and alien governments and all that kind of stuff. Whereas I honestly thought that the facial expressions and the body language, and maybe this is just because I know these characters so well, like that look on Sheridan's face did not say anything to me, but patient, like, you know, dealing with a child. So I, I didn't find it effective at all when they put the, the this uh, alternate uh, voiceover on there. Erica, you're wrong. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I I can sort of see a, a bit of it. I, I remember thinking that, you know, Sheridan didn't look particularly subservient, according to the mm-hmm. narration, until maybe that very last shot. And it was just because, you know, he's like, you know, bowing his head slightly and trying to end the conversation. I'm done here. Yeah. Um, and, While Londo's pointing. Right. And, so. and, and more to the point, I mean, even if we know the characters better and we know the body language better, uh, yeah. the fictional audience for this would at, would totally not Certainly and not. they would totally mm-hmm. buy that it's that uh, mm-hmm. Sheridan's under the aliens's thumb collectively mm-hmm. uh one more sort of big picture question and then want to get into uh, a few of the details uh rapid fire i think that the clark administration and the 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 evil government of earth as it is right now i think how it's being portrayed has started to change Early on, there was the conspiracy that took out President Santiago, and they started ramping up, sort of leaning into what appeared to be existing political trends and prejudices on Earth, concerned about alien immigration, sort of Earth-first kind of mentality. And you had, like, ministries of peace, and you had cracking down on dissidents, but it was pretty overt authoritarianism. And with this episode, it's seeming a lot more Orwellian because it's like EarthGov through ISN in this episode is doing more manipulating and gaslighting and making, instead of actively encouraging your prejudices uh, that with, with overt posters and things like that, they're actually trying to change how people think. It's like uh, oh. President Clark is the gaslighter-in-chief now. Oh, I mean, it feels like the logical next step to, you know, if you're letting uh, this, the seeds of this authoritarian impulse of um, nationalism and everything like that, and letting it grow to a point where it can, it's not that it can grow anymore, but now they've got to solidify 
what they've done. I mean, it just feels... Especially when they're afraid that they've lost some of their backing with the shadows being gone. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, it's actually kind of the opposite direction that some authoritarian governments go in, because often Mm -hmm. you get something like the the government spends an awful lot of time trying to change the way people think. So like, you know, the, the, you know, in Germany, the Nazis spent a lot of time spreading information about how scary the Jews were and how it was all their fault that they lost World War One and all that kind of stuff and slowly worked up to the point where they could be authoritarian enough to, you know, have the Holocaust, which, you know, is awful. In this case, they actually had the military might, you know, that sort of thing happening first, because, uh, you know, first of all, you had the Mimbari War, which was, you know, kind of a a big deal. And, um, and then now you have, you know, the colonies succeeding, and and they've been uh, attacked by an unknown force, which, of course, it was just a white star trying to save everybody from from the shadows. But um, so they were able to declare martial law in the first place um, and then now are sort of following it up with the same sort of disinformation that some governments kind of go in the other direction with. Uh, but either way, you, you end up with the same you know, crappy situation for all of the citizens on the planet. And in this case, it ends with a gut punch. The face of Delin as oh, the yeah, hideous yeah. mutated face of the enemy. Right. As an audience, we know and love Delin. We know and love Mira Furlan. We see how cute she and Sheridan are together. And the fictional audience for this show sees her and is repulsed by her. They already know she exists because she was part of the previous interview and, and mm-hmm. now for a word. And Kim Zimmer said, you know, made, made her cry because she was saying that she thought that some people would see her half-human appearance as an insult. But this, this is this is othering a mm-hmm. powerful character that so many people love on the show. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Isn't she so scary because she's different and the things she believes are something that, you know, that are not, not, what, Earth, not what good Earthers uh, think. So they've, you know, you sort of got that base to go with and then you pile on top of all of this fake news and you are left with the illusion of truth. Ta-da! Yeah. Indeed. Uh, so I guess that brings us back to your point, uh, Erica, about poor naive Sheridan. I mean, he tried to put the best possible spin on it. He, 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 he knew that they were going to get screwed over. He just, I don't think he was prepared for, as, as, it, as we clearly saw at the beginning of the, epi- at the end of the episode, you know, it hit far harder than he thought it would. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, it was made personal, that dig, you know, at the beginning, we hear he's worried about his family, he hasn't heard from them. Right. And at the end, they make a point to say, by the way, their farm burned down, and we don't know where his dad is. That was Just, a message for one person. Yes, exactly. Yep. That's targeted news, all right. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, but there yeah. was there, but there was some other stuff that uh, came out in this episode. Opening scene with Zach. I had forgotten. He's pretty damn competent in that opening scene. <laughs> oh yeah. I just love it so much. And I found myself afterwards thinking, okay, if it had still been Garibaldi, would this scene play have played roughly the same? Would it have been different? And I think I think that it would have been a little bit different because, you know, Zach is not the most 
well-spoken, eloquent kind of guy. And I think that after all of his time um, as as a security chief, Garibaldi has gotten to the point where he probably would have been able to sort of talk them down or just basically bully them into opening their, their equipment. Mm-hmm. Whereas Zach realizes he's smart enough to know that that's just not his bailiwick. He's, he's not going to get through with that. So he just decides to, you know, take the matters into his own hands and pull out the gun. And that was so delightful to just watch him <laughs> doing things his way and yeah. still, you know, getting them accomplished. I mean, it backfired a little bit in his face, but it was a delightful moment nonetheless. That moment yeah. where he goes, they're cameras. Mm-hmm. And, ju- and that, humor, that humorless smile into the fisheye lens. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was trying to think if um, that was sort of the point. Or, uh, basically, I'm just trying to think about how deep was this setup? You know, just, you know, that, that the journalists had it set up from the very beginning to put them on their back foot uh, by having security overreact in some way. Um, mm. I think that, you know, was definitely part of it. I may be reaching, but, you know, having just recorded Epiphanies this same week, I actually was wondering, you know, was the possibility, um, because the cryo tube issue, I feel like that the journalists went in realizing that was a thing and went looking for more information. And the only person that would have passed that information is Bester. And I cannot decide for the life of me if this is Bester getting revenge because the B5 people were unable to help him or just to sow more chaos. I I cannot decide if that's a thing or not. I Mm. don't think that Bester would have been happy to have seen Carolyn Sanderson's name on ISN. Yeah, so, I actually had that mm. thought. So I, I do think that that's reaching because I, I don't okay. think that Bester would have wanted anybody to know about this. Because if the truth comes out, then the truth is eventually going to come out that he is the one that colluded with Babylon 5 behind True. the back of EarthGov. And True. he I don't think he would do anything to, to perhaps, um mm-hmm. you know, risk Carolyn's safety. At this yeah, point. And, I, and I can't decide. If, I don't think he would have told anybody official. You know, which is, you know, mm-hmm. so I, I couldn't think of any other source of the information. And like I said, I was just speculating with having seen these episodes fairly close together. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was just bad luck. And that's another sort of thing that I have a little trouble with is the fact that Babylon 5 communicators are just out loud communicators. Again, mm-hmm. in this day and age of Bluetooth and headphones and stuff like that, it seems right. very strange to me that high-level command staff would be communicating any kind of information out in the open where just any rando can overhear. Right. Mm-hmm. I did feel like that there were, again, more of these. We've been talking these. Uh, we've been talking about these already, these episode opening exposition bombs. And there, oh, were yeah. a, there, there were a lot of them. We got to remember Sheridan's dad. We got to rem, we were reminded of the cryogenic tubes that we just saw one episode ago. <laughs> I think that was, the, but I think the point of that exposition was just to make it crystal clear for any viewers who had forgotten or had dropped in after the fact that the intentions of the Babylon Five staff towards these people is good. I think that that was part of the reason for that dialogue. Right, right. Well, I think and, I think and it to was remind st- us, of, and you know, you you don't tell us about Sheridan's dad except that there's the message at the end of the episode. You don't remind mm-hmm. us uh, yet again about the cryotubes and have the cryotube plot going on except that they're the punchline for the ISN broadcast. It's actually very mm-hmm. well structured, but when you but when you encounter it first, I just have. 
I'm watching this in 2017. TV shows don't have to do this anymore. Do we have to do this again now? Please, Joe. You're <laughs> here. here. <laughs> sad thing. Let's, we've been talking about some happy things. Let's talk about a sad thing. Let's talk about Mr. Michael Garibaldi in his mm. office. When he's dealing with that client, he is witty. He is mm-hmm. on top of things. He's a right. shrewd negotiator. He is himself. He is the Garibaldi that we remember, except he's not wearing a uniform anymore. And then Sheridan comes up in conversation. Sheridan shows up to uh, talk to Lanier, and they barely speak. They, they barely acknowledge each other's presence. Oh, remember that handshake at the end of Zaha Doom in third season? Uh, that seems so, so long ago. I wanted to scream at Sheridan for not even asking, how are you doing? Not not even, not even, a, how's, it, how's it going? Ugh! I did. I wanted to reach into the screen and slap him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, he's not at his best, Sheridan. No, I know he's not, this. but still, that, that, that seemed just like beyond... What, given given their past friendship, that just seemed like even beyond what uh, Sheridan would be capable of doing to ignore him that that much, even given mm-hmm. the various uh, situation with his, all the balls in the air. His attitude toward Garibaldi reminds me of his attitude towards uh, Lita in the last episode. It's like Sheridan Ooh, has complete, that's true. Sheridan has completely mm-hmm. run out of patience, mm-hmm. and that is a character defect, I think. Mm-hmm. Not not necessarily as written, but you know, in the in in the universe, Sheridan's got a problem. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, final verdict before we go into spoiler space. Uh, unless you've got well, first before we do that, do you all have anything else you want to throw into this stone soup of a podcast? Uh, uh, JMS definitely was getting some things off his chest writing this episode. We've talked about, you know, journalism general, in general, media manipulation, things like that. Um, Something that leaped out again at this time that I'm not sure registered the first time I watched this. And of course, now I can't remember the name of if it was like if there was a name for the commission, but uh, MacArthur, the the 50s, the house, the house. the, the House on American House. Activities Thank and then you. McCarthy was a senator going who had a different one. The entertainment industry going through, you know, he even uses the same language of collaborators um, mm-hmm. and then, you know, making this uh, poor person just, you know, read this statement, um, apologizing to everybody for things that um, he almost certainly didn't do. And, and naming know. names and, yes. and those names that were used, the last names were the names of actual victims of the Red Scare in the 50s, Trumbo. Zero Mustel, uh, you know, okay. Trumbo Mustel. Those last names are mm-hmm. the point is being communicated in neon letters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And similarly, um, taking what was what's almost certainly, you know, a very true s- situations of uh, PTSD and uh, things like that and applying them to this extreme to come up with Minbari war syndrome. You know, mm. were, were the veterans of this war suffering? Pro- oh, yeah, almost certainly. Um, but were they, you know, taking the, them t- taking it to this extreme 
Um, it, this just had me ringing all sorts of bells about um, all these treatments that people try to come up with, come up with to convince, for example, gay people that you know they, they shouldn't be gay, that they're they're self hating. You know, that all of those bells were ringing through that section as Mister Psychologist um, stumped uh, for the right. cameras. Right. The, if he was even really a psychologist, yeah, or if they course. just got some Granted. actor in there. Because he says Helsinki syndrome instead of Stockholm syndrome. Now I don't I don't know a lot about psychology. Maybe there is a Helsinki syndrome, There's or maybe not. JMS. Maybe yeah, that's I've, a fake history thing. I don't know, but I, Stockholm syndrome for sure is a thing, and it's the yes. thing that he called Helsinki syndrome. <laughs> I yeah. think JMS did that deliberately to to oh, not allude to the real thing for whatever reason. Maybe I do think though that that is the most insidious point of uh, Clark's plan here is. If you, you you can convince a whole lot of people to do some really awful things by telling them that helping. it's for, by telling them that it's for the victim's own good. Yep. Mm-hmm. Erica, any final thoughts? Oh, well, I can f- say the last few things um, from our our Stephen check in. He, you know, it ended and without any prompting, he just said. Wow, what a different episode that was! Um, <laughs> he, he, yeah, he said it, he said it was weird because he really didn't expect half of the episode to be sort of a full the news broadcast. report, especially yeah. since it's something that they already did a couple of years ago. Um, I, I I don't think he disliked it, but it was it was jarring enough that I think he was a little bit kind of surprised by it. Um, mm-hmm. And he he also commented on how the timeliness of this. He said the timeliness of this episode is very. Very strange. He had trouble watching it, uh, or at least thinking about it after the fact as well. Um, and he is very, very interested in uh, what's going on with Mr. Garibaldi. He's like, hmm, I wonder how long they can keep this rope a pulling <laughs> because, like, he thinks there's, you know, how long are they going to stretch this out? Um, and I think this was a, a useful episode in illustrating exactly sort of what's uh, how far gone Mr. Garibaldi is because Stephen did not realize that Garibaldi was that resistant to Sheridan. Um, So he thought that was interesting to see. He thought he had just sort of quit. But, you know, when Sheridan's name comes up in the conversation and he immediately changes, like, even posture and everything and then decides to go on the record at the end smack-talking, basically. Uh, That was was something that Stephen didn't expect. So I think that this was an important episode for hammering home just just where his his mind is at at this point. So my last question for the two of you... uh, was this episode really subversive and did it potentially teach people something in 1997? And is it something that we can learn from today or is it just kind of too dated, too much of its time? I don't think it's too much of its time. I mean, I can't think of the name of the, the guy who goes around these days interviewing people and the, the guy who brought down Acorn, basically, you know, editing things together for his own. Right. Um, uh, basically yeah, to tell and try story. to do it to Planned Parenthood too, right? Yeah, so exactly. That's exactly what we what we yeah. saw here. So I, I I don't think that it's dated except in the fact that, I don't know, the idea that there's one, one news yeah. channel, which we already which, talked about. I think it's well, very which instructive. Actually, yeah, which I actually just, you know, was while we were recording, I pulled up um, because I was looking for the name of uh, McCarthy to see if I could find mm-hmm. the reference uh, in the Lurker's Guide uh, in the JMS Speaks section. Somebody asks him, you know, is ISN really the only news station? And he's like, oh. no, they're just the only news station with the resources to broadcast interstellarly. Uh. 
that there's plenty of planetary news and there's plenty of local news on Mars, local news on Proxima 3. But this is the only giant network able to reach everybody. So got it. Cool. But that is all we see. So Mm -hmm. um, I think JMS was trying to say some things in 1997. Uh, You know, uh, Bill Clinton had just been elected for the second time. And uh, we were getting the stirrings, if I remember correctly, of um, the Monica Lewinsky mess. And, you know, again, you know, Fox News was just around the corner. Um, So I I think JMS had things to say in this episode. Absolutely. Um, And as Erica said, absolutely, it's an object lesson for today as well. Um, I was like, like Ivanova at the end, I wanted to just, you know, like go leave and punch something. <laughs> well, we're going to jump into spoiler space and talk about some of the stuff in this episode that points to future episodes. Uh, but for now, I'm going to remind you, if you're about to take your leave of us, that uh, we'd love to hear what you think of this episode. Our comment threads are available at b5audioguide.com. We're available on Twitter and Tumblr. Also look at B5 Audio Guide on those platforms. Numeral 5, not spelling it out. We're simple (laughs) that way. (laughs) Next time around, if you're following the Lurker's Guide master list, here's a deviation from that. The Lurker's Guide takes advantage of the fact that there were Babylon 5 TV movies that were slotted in at various points during the continuity. We're not going to take on those movies at this point. We're going to take on take them on later. So you are not going to watch this movie called Third Space. That's down the road. Don't worry about it. We're watching the next episode, which is Atonement. And I think it's a really good one, but that's, that's a bit of a spoiler, I guess. <laughs> So we're going to check in next time for atonement, um, which sounds kind of uh, philosophical here. Like you've done something <laughs> wrong and you have to listen to us for atonement. <laughs> I'm babbling. I, I, I'm feeling it must be the effect of that jump gate that's right in front of me right now. And having emerged from spoiler space... <sighs> Uh, let's talk about that exposition there, because for for this rewatch, having forgotten the hook about the cryogenic tubes and the and Sheridan's dad at the end of this episode, I was patting JMS on the back and saying, "Good job for reminding us of the telepaths and reminding us of the dad thing," because of the future episodes that are going to hinge upon that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is like in. In concentrated form within the one season, the same pattern that JMS has put to such good use over the previous seasons building, you know, that led us to the the things that were going to hint towards the Shadow War and towards, you know, the Santiago assassination, things like that, that came to fruition. He's doing the same thing here. As you said, there's the, you know, recap of what's going on with the cryogenic, um, with the telepaths in cryofreeze. Even though we just had epiphanies, we get a bit clear picture now the fact that they can't wake them up yet and then as you said sheridan's dad is brought back for the first time since um was it towards the end of season two no beginning of season three it was severed dreams so um so yeah uh this is this felt comfortable because this is we're back in uh jms's typical mo i feel really good about that memory tells me that 
now that we've gotten past the plot compression for the Shadow War, everything else here is going to be more or less better paced and better motivated. We had some lovely time for dialogue flourishes uh, and and, and clever, clever, clever bits that we didn't necessarily have time for while he was trying to wrap up the Shadow War. I think it's back to B5 being really polished. Yeah, it really did feel like things were, you know, even if you didn't know what was coming, like it's sort of elegantly explaining what's happening and seeding things for the future. And I mean, you you get, you know, lines like Sheridan saying that, uh, you know, something tells me we'll be dealing with a legacy the shadows left for a long, long time, which might not stick out to you. But uh, but yeah, Mm -hmm. that's that is a thing that is that is going to happen. So it was uh, that was pretty cool. Yeah, it wouldn't have happened if B5 had the plug pulled after this season. I think the only thing we would True. have gotten would have been the, um, I think they were called Omega-class destroyers or whatever. The destroyers that uh, Susan fights uh, it, in the end that have like shadow tech grafted onto them. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, but with the fifth season, we have the Drock influence on uh, Centauri Prime and, and and also just making general trouble in the universe. And mm-hmm. then, uh, and then for Crusade, which was probably not much more than a glimmer in JMS's eye at this point, you have the Drak attack on Earth, and then unleashing the plague. And what would have happened later on in that series, if more episodes had been made, would have been the discovery that there was an active rogue faction in Earth Force that was really, really intending to use uh, shadow technology. And they, that they would have been a problem. And uh, Captain Gideon would have found himself opposing that. But mm-hmm. so, yeah, yeah. Uh, that will be something tells me. Yeah. The writer <laughs> of this show is telling you, Sheridan. Yeah. <laughs> uh, something else that leaped out at me and well, two things. One I, that I could have said pre-spoiler Um in the news broadcast, the day count. I can't remember the last time. Maybe it even went all the way back to the Iranian hostage crisis. I can't remember at the moment a time where where network news or TV shows were counting the days of something like they were with the Mars occupancy of, of the idea of you know, it's taken us 259 days to liberate Mars from yeah. the rebels. I think that um, that was very much a callback to the Iran hostage yeah. crisis. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And the other thing that this is going forward, the forced confession of the um, entertainment man is, you know, directly parallels what they're going to try and make Sheridan do once they capture him. Their their goal is to break him down to the point where they can make him read his apology statement in front of cameras and make it look like he's going to be saved. You know, they, they, they had this guy, you know, apologizing and just, you know, the, the look on that actor's face and the, the deadness in his eyes of, you know, just makes it clear to us at least that this is not truly what he believes. And then he gets packed off to Geneva, which happens to be the headquarters of the Psycor for mm-hmm. rehabilitation. Yeah. I mean, that was sending chills as I was remembering uh, intersections in real time. Yeah, I think that was, I thought that that was actually uh, Stephen First's only real misstep in this episode was making it so obvious that mm-hmm. this guy was, you know, that it was a coerced uh, confession. 
we we may disagree about how plausible the you know telling folks that Sheridan's argument with Londo was him being subservient, but an average viewer, unless they just had been totally brainwashed, I think would have seen that this guy was not saying words that he would have wanted to say. Mm-hmm. Possibly, or it could be a case of you know the the Clark government and its media arm being a little bit too confident and yeah, just thinking you know we really that. do have everybody snowed under so and all we need is to to get the you know the, the broad strokes the words need to be there people mm-hmm. are dumb we've got mm-hmm. them we've got them controlled it doesn't matter they do worry about that more with Sheridan uh, they right. uh, they don't start they don't start trying to drug him until. Uh, their efforts in intersections in real time look like they're failing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that's yeah. There's another episode that we've got to look forward to. There, mm-hmm. Sheridan's interrogation is going to be difficult to watch. Hey, boy. Mm. Well, uh, Erica, you got anything else? I've got one uh, sort of parting shot. Oh, um, we haven't mentioned uh, how. And I don't remember exactly when it picks up, if it's like in the next few episodes, but uh, this time around, I feel like this episode was the catalyst, seeing what ISN did to them is the catalyst for creating the voice of the resistance. And Susan winds up um, sharing news across interstellar broadband to as many places as she can get to. You have set me up beautifully. I have a rant. Do I have a rant? I'm not sure it's a rant, but it's a You thing. have opinions. I have opinions. <laughs> well, uh, how how subversive is JMS being, and is he being a little too on the nose here? Because he's made EarthGov so evil and so unsympathetic, and he's made ISN so manipulative and dangerous. So, uh, so the voice of the resistance... We're the heroes, and we're not going to do propaganda. We're going to give you the real truth. See this little, uh, see this little image on our title card of uh, uh, President Clark with a circle slash over him. That's just making a point. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the things that JMS does with this storyline is that just like Sheridan's always got to be the guy who says "get to the life pods," our heroes are kept way, way away from the real gray areas of making mean, evil decisions. You know, the closest they come is Sheridan sends the ship to its certain death, but he tells them everything that he's asking them to do. He plugs a bunch of telepaths into uh, Earth Force ships to disable them, um, but not all of them, and he hangs he preserves Carolyn Sanderson. She's not involved in that, and and we're still going to try to get them out and, um, and and rescue them. Our guys are such the good guys. Our guys such, and and I'm wondering if they are too much the good guys. Uh, is it believable that the voice of the resistance is going to be pure news? And because it's pure news and pure truth. It's going to be so much more believable, and it's going to win. I don't know. Just something you said there just triggered a thought. If this is not part of why season five is off key, because in season five, the good guys are not so good and make some poor decisions, and you know we we wind up with you know a telepath war as a result, um, among <laughs> other things. And so, yeah, I think you have a a point 
of the side of the angels being too damn white. Yeah, it does seem a little jarring later on when they make decisions that are not <laughs> that that don't lead to good things because everybody is so sort of perfect here. Right. And then, you know, in season five, we were also going to have an Earth Force officer as the military commander of Babylon 5, someone who fought with General Lefcourt and on the on the side of President Clark because she was doing her duty until, in the end, everybody realizes that Clark was bad and he was going to turn the guns on the world and everybody accepts Sheridan was right after all. Hurrah, hurrah, <laughs> hurrah, hurrah. I don't know if you could have actually made our heroes grayer and sort of told the morality play that JMS is going for here, but our bad guys are such the bad guys, and our heroes are such the heroes. And I'm wondering if this show, if if it is actually a failing of this show, that for all of the richness of the characters, it still does seem to boil down to good guys and bad guys, with a couple of exceptions. I mean, linear fifth season, things like that, but for the most part. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, the 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 one uh, the one last thing that I had that I noticed was um, one of you guys said in pre spoiler space that uh, something about JMS just you know having having issues with journalists and not 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 caring for them in general, and I don't think that's the case, uh, and I couldn't say why I couldn't say why in pre spoiler space, but we actually do have some. Some journalists really put up on a pedestal and shown that they care, and oh, that is when yeah. ISN right. is finally liberated. It yeah. shows that that we do that. You know, journalism is actually a really important thing. I think that that all of these episodes that are are showing the way news can be skewed is actually pointing out the fact that journalism is crucial and it is so 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 important, and that journalists are some of the most important you know truth tellers in in society and the fact that they are you know imprisoned for years is part of one of the biggest reasons that that the Clark government is able to to get in the way that they do and, and maintain control so i mean that episode when they are finally released and mm-hmm. it's it's the same newsreader that we had seen way back in season 1 and when she got taken you know, down yeah. she's crying like that episode it just that really really hits me so i don't think that really uh, the jms has a problem yeah. with journalism i think he has a problem with shady journalism there you go yeah because because that that fits in yeah because i was trying to square the rant uh early on as randall tries to point out that there's no such thing as objective journalism everybody's Mm -hmm. got an agenda i was trying to square that um yeah that 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 makes perfect sense yeah and that's a that's a relevant conversation for this age too as uh journalistic agencies are trying to figure out how to call lies lies again and things like that mm-hmm. and and the the language of objective journalism being attacked at, uh, attacked from all sides when Randall says that that's because in part he's got a real agenda mm-hmm. <laughs> yep yeah uh, so on that shiny happy note <laughs> the illusion of truth. Feel good television in a feel good age. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that is dark, Mister. That is dark. Oh uh, well, atonement's going to be uh, atonement's going to be rather brighter. I think we're going to see one of my favorite guest actors playing the role of Ducat, the leader of the Gray Council. That's I, I, I'm excited for that. I'm excited for uh, some of the. Some of the history of the Battle of the Line coming up. It's uh, it's going to be 
I'm looking forward to that one. <laughs> it's going to feel good. Here, here. But that's next time. Yes. Thanks for listening to the Audio Guide for Babylon 5. This is Chip in Durham. Erica in Edmonton. And Shannon in Durham. We will see you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>